Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be reading um, from verse 9 through to verse 17, if you want to just kind of mark it. But just to kind of set the tone of this morning and to kind of remind you of where we are, remember we're doing the study of this book, amazing book. And remember, Paul is writing to the Colossian church because there are people that have come into this church and said, actually, you need to add to the work of Jesus. You need to add some things to complete the work of Jesus. What you really need to do is add some Jewish tradition, a little bit of, a little bit of the law, a little bit of Greek philosophy. And once you've done that, the work of Christ is complete. And so Paul writes this letter, and he kind of, in a very kind way, a very straight way, though, he kind of brings some things to the attention of these Colossian Christians and says, all that you need is Jesus. That's the only thing, the person you need to, to complete your life is Jesus. And so in the first couple of chapters, he paints this amazing picture of who Jesus is, the supremacy of Christ in creation, the Lord of all. And he, he lifts up Christ and he paints a picture that they can see the fullness of who Jesus is. And then he says, he says, in the light of all of that, Therefore, this is how you live. Because of who Christ is, all that He's done, therefore live your life like this. Now, I find it amazing that we preach a gospel that says people are free in Christ, absolutely free in Jesus. He's taken their sin. They're completely free. They, we, we quote all the time, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then over a period of time, the church puts a whole lot of things on Christians. I find that strange. Why would Jesus set us free from law and then bring us again under law subtly? Why would he do that? It just does not make sense to me at all. And I don't think it is the true gospel. But the, the question then is, how do we live? What motivates us to live? And that's the, the thing that Paul Begins to address in chapter 3. Therefore, in the light of all that Jesus has done for you, this is how you should live. And he doesn't put law on you. He doesn't put rules on you to tell you how you should live. And Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus simply says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest and the most complete com commandment. Yes? That's what Jesus says. And Paul unpacks that and says it in a different way, but he's saying the same thing. And so last time I preached, I said to you that the first thing Paul says, what are we to do? What are the imperatives, the very important things that we do as Christians? These are not laws. These are encouragements. What are the, what are the things that we do? He says, first of all, there are four things that a Christian must do personally in his relationship with Jesus. Yeah? And we talked about the Christian and Christ, the first big thing that Paul talks about. He says there are four things you do. One, you set your heart on things that are above. First thing you do. The most important thing in your life becomes Christ and his kingdom. If you set your heart on Christ, you cannot at the same time set your heart on sin. This is what Paul says. He says, set your heart, that's your emotions, that's your feelings, that's all of those things. You set them on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And then he says, secondly, set not only your heart, but your mind on things that are above. In other words, you have a renewed mind that Christ, now that you're a new person, Christ is renewing your mind. He's giving you a whole new value system, way, the way you see the world, the way you see other people. It's being transformed. Now set that new, renewed mind, set it on heavenly things. Set it on things that are from heaven. 
Not earthly things, not things that drag you down, not things from your old life that consume you. No, set your heart, set your mind on things that are above. And Paul says, thirdly, when you start to see, the, when you start to see what God is showing you, and when, he, when you set your mind on Him, you set your mind on His kingdom, then he says, thirdly, you put to death all earthly things. And he said last time we looked at it, these earthly things, these, these sinful things are obvious. Everyone can see them. Sexual immorality, anger, malice, corruption. These are all earthly things that belong to the old man. And you put those things to death by the Spirit in your life. That's the third thing you do. You put to death everything from the sinful nature. And fourthly, you've put aside things that you inherited from your old, the past. So these can be things like from our culture, from the way that we were educated. All these things that don't conform to the kingdom of God, we put those things aside. So I'm not saying as a Christian, if you're living by grace, you don't do anything. Of course you do. With all your effort, all your energy, all your will, you set your heart on Jesus, you set your mind on his kingdom, you put to death things in your life that are sinful, and you throw off everything that wants to draw you back into the old. That's what you do as a Christian. You don't live by law. That's how you live. With passion, with conviction, with focus on the God's kingdom that you want to see here on earth. And so you say, Jesus, I willingly put these things to death in my life because they're not the things that reflect your kingdom. All right? That's what Paul says we put off. And now in this second big block of teaching, he's going to speak directly to us as Christians and his church, his community of believers, and he's going to say, this is what you put on, okay? You've put those things off, the negative. Now I want you to put these things on. I want you to clothe yourselves with these things, he says um, to, to his Colossian friends. So in verse 9, he says, talking about the church now, all of us together, we've put the old man off. The old man that was in Adam, we've put that off. And now he says, this is what you, I want you to do. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Yeah. So he uses this phrase of... Um, that you were in Adam and that we are being renewed to the image of Christ who is our creator. And this, this kind of thought is repeated a number of times in Romans 6 and in Ephesians 4, exactly the same thought. And in those books it says something a little bit different. In Romans 6, it stresses what God has done to us. God has put us in Christ. That's what Romans 6 says. And now Paul is saying in Colossians 3, God has put you in Christ and now this is what you do in response to being in Christ. We put off the old self and we put on the new. And Paul's point is um, that God is bringing into being entirely a new humanity. Have you ever thought about that? If you are a Christian, you are part of an entirely new humanity, a new um, human race that is being conformed to the image of our Creator. So in other words, through Adam and Eve, sin came into the world, and the image of God that God had intended for mankind was distorted by sin. And the promise of, the, of, of Christ is that in Him, we are being restored back to the original um, humanity that God intended in, in, in Christ. That's what our destiny is. 
We are being transformed to a new people, a kingdom of priests that reflect the image of God as God intended originally for it to be. That is an amazing, amazing thought. The kingdom of his dear son, Paul puts it like that. And he says, you are being renewed in your mind, and that's the first thing that he stresses. And then he says, we are being taken back to this image of God that was lost through Adam. And that's why he says in verse 11, here in this new kingdom, there's no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. And I love this phrase, but Christ is all and is in all. It's, it's brilliant. And so what Paul is saying, he's, he always chooses his words very carefully. As I look around the room here, there are people from Nigeria, South Africa, America, uh, England, uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, I can't see into the distance. The son of a pirate over there. Who else have I missed out? Less people from Leicester, New Zealand, America, Nigeria. What's my point? Paul's point is that in the church, Brazil, sorry, nearly lift out Brazil. Paul's point is that in Christ, the things that normally divide people and put them into little groups and camps in the church, those things, barriers are gone. They no longer apply. They might apply in the world, but the deep divisions that apply in, in all the other cultures around nationality or tradition or tribe or language, and they normally distinguish people, those things are done away with in the church. That should encourage you, because everyone who comes into God's kingdom is accepted just as they are, regardless of what background they come from. And so Paul chooses these words very quick, uh, carefully, because in his day, Jewish people cut themselves off from other people because they were proud of the Mosaic law. And everyone else was unclean, and they were not. Similarly, Greeks were very proud of their philosophy. And so in the Greek, ancient Greek world, everyone else who was not Greek, who could not speak Greek, what were they called? Barbarians. We are Greeks. We are not barbarians. Are you with me? There were all these divisions in the ancient world. For the Jews, the distinctive mark was circumcision. That's what distinguished them from every other group of people. Scythians, Paul says here, Scythians, who were Scythians? They were very famous warriors. They were Greek warriors, and they, they cut themselves off from every other um, uh, culture, and they lived in the north of Greece, far away from everyone, and they were known as these kind of fierce warriors. That's what distinguished them. Other sections of society were cut off because they were slaves. Other people willingly cut themselves off in a sense of being superior because they had become freed men. And so they didn't want to associate with the slaves anymore or the poor because they were freed men. And so my point is that in Paul's day, there were many divisions in the culture just as there are in our day. And in our day, people are separated by language, by education, by background. Scotland hates England. Ireland hates Scotland. The north doesn't like the south. The south doesn't like the north. Are you with me? The educated, those who went to universities, are frowned upon by those that didn't go to university. The working class doesn't like the upper class. Conservatives don't like labor. Labor doesn't like anyone. 
All these divisions. Paul says, in the church, in the church, these things are null and void. In Christ, we are a new creation. We are a new humanity that is being made into the image and the likeness of Jesus as he originally intended to be. And so what Paul is really saying in the church, don't put any pride in your education or your wealth. Abandon any claim that you are superior to anyone else. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus is everything, and in him, he is the all in all, and we are part of him, the head. We're all destined for the same heaven, and that is Paul's point. Everything that, if this is going to work in the church, how can this possibly work? Well, he says there's only one thing that is going to make this work in God's church, and that is to clothe yourself in love. That's what Paul says. He's saying if you put off the, the old, the first thing that we are to put on, to clothe ourselves with in the church, is love. Verse 12, therefore, remember there's a therefore? Good to ask what it's there for. Therefore, verse 12, because you are God's chosen people, that's what Paul is saying, first half, you're holy, you're dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the only way it's going to work, people. That's what Paul's saying. The only way it's going to work in the church is that you love each other. If God is bringing together all these myriad different kinds of people from all different backgrounds, they are the new creation in Christ. The only way that the community of believers is going to function is if they you genuinely, genuinely, deeply from the heart love each other. And you clothe yourself. You put on humility and kindness and gentleness. You put it on. You consciously put it on. You clothe yourself with it. I love what he says here. His language, he says, you are God's chosen people. You notice that? It's done. You are God's chosen people. We are part of God's eternal plan. We are the new humanity being made into his image. We are holy. That's his language. And now we start working that out in how we love one another, but we already are loved by Christ. And so I want to put it to you that how we work this love out is that we simply start to do the things that please Jesus. <laughs> we simply start to do the things that please Jesus. And I can I kindly say this? We watch ourselves. We don't go around the church watching everyone else and saying, oh, they're not loving. Look how hypocritical they are. They're not forgiving. They're not kind. And we point the finger. No, no, no. Let the sword go into your own heart, all right? That's where we start. This is how we live, by watching over ourselves. Am I kind? Am I gentle? Am I forgiving? Am I a nice person to be around? Well, if I start becoming that by the power of the Spirit, then guess what? Everyone else will want to be around me as well. Are you with me? This is what Paul is saying. It starts with us. It starts with you and me. It starts with us allowing ourselves to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we make a habit of forgiving other people. So when someone offends, we forgive quickly. We make a habit of forgiveness. Why? Because we want the whole of God's church to be kept together and over the whole thing to be clothed with love. That's what Paul is saying here. 
And I believe that's what simply makes unity possible. Without that, unity is not possible. And so that's why Paul is encouraging this church, and he's encouraging us. And I think that actually as we start to see that in local churches, different local churches, that people come in and they start to see something of the new man, something of the image of God in how we respond to each other. That's a powerful thing. Ah, what makes these people different? See how they love each other. I can see something of God on these people because they genuinely love each other. That's what Paul is trying to say. So he says that's the first thing that you clothe yourself with. Remember, you've put these things off, put this on. The first thing, you clothe yourself with love. Secondly, he says, you clothe yourself with a life of peace. Oh, man. You should also amen to that. Clothe yourself with a life of peace. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Can I ask you, I'm not trying to treat you like children. Just say under your breath, I am called to peace. I'm called to be a peacemaker. I'm called to live at peace as best as I can with everybody. That's part of the calling that God has for my life. I'm called to peace. I want this to be a community of peace. Why? Because God has given us peace in Christ and we work it out with each other. No division, no anger, no forgiveness, no unforgiveness, forgiveness in Christ so we can be peacemakers. We can be at peace. All of you know what is really difficult in families and communities is that when people fight with each other, there's not peace. And then it's just unpleasant for everybody, isn't it? You know, you know how many of you have been to Christmas gatherings with your family where it starts well and ends badly? Anyone been to one of those? I've had some family gatherings like that. Isn't that true? Everyone gets together at the beginning of the day, and it's really cool and happy. And then after, by the end of the day, all the little tensions have come again, and little unforgivenesses that were decades old of servants again, and no one's really forgiven, and it's, oh, and just gets a little bit, ah. We don't want the church to be like that. We want it to be peaceful. Paul says you need to clothe, we all need to clothe ourselves with a life of peace. And so he's saying the peace that Jesus has given us must flow out into all the relationships that we have in the church. Romans 14, 17, one of my favorite verses. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Oh no, and the kingdom of God is miracles, signs, wonders. Yes, some of that, but Paul says the kingdom of God primarily is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what characterizes the Christian life. And so Paul is saying that desire to have peace reign in our lives must begin to rule over all of our relationships that we want to see peace. We don't want to be fighting with people all the time. Yes, that's just exhausting. You don't want to be fighting and arguing with people all the time. You want his peace to reign in your, your life. And so I'm not saying you compromise with sin at all. I'm not saying that at all. We are things that need to be challenged. We must challenge them if they're sinful. But the overriding rule of our hearts is we want the peace of God to reign. We want the peace of God to rule in our lives. Amen? And in our family and in our community. So uh, that means we guard our hearts so we don't take offense too quickly. Don't react too quickly when we're displeased about something. And that Paul gives this very specific 
Christian answer of why we should do that because he says we are all people made in the image of God. We are all one body and we are being closely knit together and joined. And because we are one body, if you hurt one part of the body by what you say in an ugly way, you hurt the whole body, Paul is saying. And do you notice that he connects it at the end? Do you notice verse 15? He connects it with thankfulness. Do you notice that? I always find that powerful. The more I read Paul's letters, he wrote 13 letters. What characterizes Paul's letters over and over and over? Thankfulness. Gratitude. I want to say to you, I think a thankful person is a peaceful person, generally. When you are thankful to God for what God has done in your life, there's a peace that comes and you can be at peace with other people. Peaceable people are normally thankful people. If you are always moaning about what you do not have, it makes you dissatisfied, and then you're dissatisfied with everybody else as well. Yes? It doesn't bring peace into your life. Gratitude and thankfulness go together. Thirdly, okay, put on a life of love. Put on a, clothe yourself with peace. Thirdly, what does Paul say? And I've only got four points, all right? And then I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us. Thirdly, what does he say you clothe yourself with? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God, and here it is again, with gratitude in your heart. Thankfulness. He says it again. So what's the third thing we clothe ourselves with? Praise. A life of praise. A life of thankfulness, of gratitude. And what does he mean when he says the message of Christ? Well, the message of Christ is the entire word of God coming to us through the life of Jesus. It's the gospel in all of its fullness. It's the message that we proclaim and we live by that says God is the creator of all. Humanity is sinful and fallen. But it's also a message that says Christ is the Savior and that salvation comes by faith in Him. It's also the message of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. It's the message that speaks to us, that saves us, that transforms us, that enables us to live at peace with all men. That's the message of Christ, Paul says. The full thing. And it needs to dwell in your life, and it needs to dwell in all of us as a church community. And when it starts to dwell in all of us, in the fullness of the entire message, we will see the kingdom of God come. Was that too loud? That's what Paul is saying. To be the full message of Jesus as much as I can by the power of the Spirit in my own life and reflect that out to other people. And so Paul says two things in that uh, little portion. Teach one another. Advise one another. Yeah, that's the first half. And then he says, sing. Sing. Sing in the shower. Sing at home. Sing in the car. Sing. Why? Because you have something to sing about. It's always fascinating to me to go to churches where where people don't sing. I find it incredible. Why? Because Christians above all the people on the earth have something to sing about. We've got something to sing about. We've got to sing about a Savior, a Creator who loves us, that we transform from, from darkness into light, that we are entirely new people, and what we were we no longer are. We have something to sing about. Oh, no, but that's not our culture. We don't do it like that. No, we're very reserved. My, my, my religion is private. It's not public. I want to say we throw off everything from our culture that does not conform to the kingdom of God. The biblical 
the biblical mandate for us is to sing. Come on. Can I have one Pentecostal in the house saying amen? Thank you. We've got to keep ourselves a people of praise. I want to encourage you with that. I love that new song that they did this morning. Your love awakens me. It's wonderful. Something of singing of what God has done on the inside of us. And so Paul says, use psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and give full expression into your life. Sing. You don't even have to sing well. We tease Helen all the time when she sings in the car. But she sings delightfully because she's singing to the Lord. Come on now. You don't have to be a perfect singer. Just sing because you've got something to sing about. Give expression to what is in your heart, says Paul. And lastly, says Paul, fourth thing, clothe yourself with love. Clothe yourself with peace. Clothe yourself in a life of praise. And fourthly, he says out of this portion, clothe yourself, put on a Christ-centered life. Christ-centered life, verse 17. Whatever you do, that includes everything, guys. Everything, whatever you do, whether in word, what you say, in deed, what you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. And here it is again, that little phrase, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. So whatever you do, you do in a Christ-centered way. This is what the last thing that Paul says you give yourself to as a Christian. It's part of the clothing that you put on. In other words, everything that you do must be done with a good conscience. Yes? A good conscience. What you listen to, what you read, what you give yourself to. Can you do it with a clear conscience? Can you do it with a sense of, God, when I do this, it's pleasing to you. You see, that's why I say you don't live by rules. You live by inside-out urgency that is manifested by the power of the Spirit. Should I watch this movie? Tell me, Ant, should I watch this movie? I don't want to tell you. What does the Holy Spirit say in your heart when you watch that movie? Does, Does the Holy Spirit say this is a good thing? This is pleasing to the Lord Jesus? This is lifting up His kingdom? This is helping people understand something more of who He is? Or is there something that you know when you're watching it, there's something that's not right about this. I'm not going to put rules on you. I'm going to say, live by the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit say to you? When you are shouting at someone, what does the Holy Spirit say to you? Is this a good thing? Is this building this relationship? Or is this breaking this relationship down? Are you with me? That's how we live. We live by the power of the Spirit. Everything that we do in word, in deed, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, is it, can you do it with a clear conscience, says Paul. And so that's why I say over and over again, we are to walk by the Spirit, we are to control the flesh, and Paul says the works of the flesh are, are painful and obvious to everybody, and we live in a way that honors God. And so, in summary, we do everything that brings the approval of Jesus. And everything that does not bring the approval of Jesus, we put that to death. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. And lastly, can I just say it again? Notice again, Paul finishes again with thankfulness. Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. I believe that's how we kind of cultivate a relationship with God in a meaningful way, that gratitude cultivates a wonderful relationship with the Lord. 
because we just say thank you for the amazing things that he's done. We give ourselves to the things that we know that Jesus would want to give us, us, ourselves, us ourselves to. We take part in every aspect of life, whatever we do or say, that is good, noble, pure, honorable, and in all of that, we give thanks to the Lord, and then we know that we are pleasing him. That's it. That's how we live as Christians. Not by rules, from the inside out, by the power of the Spirit, with a life of peace, clothed with praise and thank, thankfulness and thanksgiving, knowing that we are doing things with a clear conscience. And Paul says, Jesus says, if you do all of that, you will fulfill the Mosaic law perfectly. That's good news. It's very good news. You can live like that. I can live like that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us from the inside. And all we have to do is ask. And he gives us his spirit without measure. Amen?